Hi everyone, and welcome to the Israel Podcast. I'm Avishai ben Sasson Goldis, and this week I'll be talking about the Netanyahu investigations. Benjamin Netanyahu is now in his ninth consecutive year as Prime Minister of Israel, and twelfth year overall. In the middle of his fourth term in office, he's the longest-serving Prime Minister Israel has had in the 69 years since its founding. In many ways, for better or worse, he's the most influential politician Israel has had in the last two decades. He enjoys a stable coalition, no internal political threat in his party, the Likud, and for the first time ever, a Republican president in the White House. Yet in recent months, he has had very little chance to enjoy his situation as legal tensions mounted surrounding him and virtually everyone else in his immediate vicinity. Netanyahu himself is now a suspect in two police investigations and close confidants of his as well as former subordinates are suspect in at least two more investigations that pertain to alleged crimes committed in areas under his responsibility. Finally, his wife Sarah faces potential indictments in several investigations regarding alleged illicit use of public funds for private purposes. Before I begin laying out the different cases and what's at stake politically, allow me a disclaimer and a bit of background about the legal exposure of Israeli leaders to criminal investigations. First, the disclaimer. Everything I'll be discussing today is part of ongoing police investigations and criminal procedures. All of what I'll have to say is based on media reports, and I did my best to accurately represent what seems to be the current state of affairs. However, I feel obliged to say that all the allegations are at this stage, well, alleged. They have yet to have been proven in court, and as such, all the suspects are presumed innocent. Which brings us to the question, can these issues even be debated in court? Unlike the U.S., where the president seems to enjoy full immunity for criminal prosecution while in office, in Israel, immunity only extends to matters of substantive relevance to an official's role. That is, charges can be brought against members of the Knesset, ministers, the prime minister, and even the president. This isn't only a hypothetical. Israeli courts have sent members of each of these classes to jail in recent years. Let's go through the list just to get a sense of what I mean by this. Two former members of the Minister of Defense's party are under investigation in major graft cases. Only recently, a member of the joint Arab list, Basel Ghattas, began serving a two-year prison sentence after he was caught on tape smuggling phones for Palestinian security prisoners in late 2016. Several ministers served prison time for corruption offenses, including Israel's current Minister of Interior Affairs, Ali Adeli, who sat in prison for two years between 2000 and 2002. Others were former Minister of Finance, Avram Hirson, and former Minister of Health and Welfare, Shlomo Benizli. Former Justice Minister Chaim Ramon was sentenced to community service for sexual assault. These days, Delia is again at the heart of a new criminal investigation, and other members of Netanyahu's government have dealings with legal authorities or have had in the past. As for Prime Ministers, Netanyahu's immediate predecessor in the Prime Minister's office, Ehud Olmert, was only recently released early from jail where he served a year and a half out of a little over two years sentence. Finally, Moshe Katsav, Israel's eighth president, served most of a seven-year sentence for two counts of rape, several counts of sexual assault, and one count of obstruction of justice. To put it mildly, Israel is somewhat of a history, sending its leaders to spend some quiet time thinking about their public career once they're done. But what about Netanyahu himself? 
Despite a short investigation into gift-related misconduct during his 1996-1999 to tenure as Prime Minister, which ended with a slap on the hand from the Attorney General and State Prosecutor, a single position in Israel, he has been largely untouched by criminal investigation. This is not to say that he hasn't been at the heart of controversy at all. Civil suits by employees of the Prime Minister's formal residence against his wife Sawa for abuse have been brought several times and have also been successful. He and his wife were also notorious for not paying for services rendered to them. Moreover, it's been rumored that Netanyahu's wife would hold personal grudges against people in Netanyahu's political vicinity. Purportedly, this is how the rift between Netanyahu and current President Rivlin happened, a rift that led Netanyahu to oppose Rivlin's presidential bid, and even going so far as considering changing the law to cancel the entire institution of presidency in Israel to stop Rivlin from gaining it. Other politicians who've been rumored to have been affected by this tendency were the current heads of the Jewish Home Party, Bennett and Shakid, who used to work for Netanyahu. Yet problematic as all of this might be if true as reported, and there are good reasons to believe it is, it does not amount to criminal conduct and is fully within the scope of considerations the public can bring to bear when electing its officials. In the last year, this image has begun to change, and suspicions of criminal activity surfaced against Netanyahu and his closest allies. Conveniently, the three main cases considered were numbered Case 1000, 2000, and 3000 by Israel's police. So let's tackle them in this order, and then discuss a couple more important cases on the public agenda right now. Case 1000 deals with alleged gifts demanded by Netanyahu and his wife from wealthy quote-unquote friends of theirs, such as movie producer Arnon Milchin. According to testimonies leaked to the press, the Netanyahus would request expensive cigars and alcohol as well as jewelry from their contacts. Netanyahu and several of his wealthy contacts have been interrogated in order to establish whether they received anything in return for their gifts, which would amount to bribery. Netanyahu initially claimed there was nothing to the allegations, but later changed his line and argues that these were gifts given in good faith by friends. Law authorities, however, highly doubt that such gifts were given without anything being given in return, and some evidence of such return benefits have been pointed at. Case 2000 entails recorded conversations between Netanyahu and the publisher of Yediot Achonot, Israel's second-largest newspaper, about a deal between the two of them. The deal as discussed by the two would see Yediot changing its extreme anti-Netanyahu bias, opting to cover him positively, in return for Netanyahu limiting the spread of Israel Ayom. Israel Ayom is a free distribution newspaper funded by Sheldon Adelson, that is generally known to be a platform that was founded and works to support Netanyahu personally against what he believes is a hostile press. It is also more to the right than most of Israel's established press. Israel Ayom dethroned Yediot as Israel's largest newspaper several years before, and in doing so cut deeply into the proceeds and influence of Yediot's publisher. The conversation was happening in the context of the 2015 elections that happened largely as a result of legislative attacks against Israel Ayom that led Netanyahu to dissolve his own government. If you want to hear more about this, I recommend you listen to the first episode of the podcast that discusses Netanyahu's fixation with the press, in depth. The recordings that surfaced on the phone of Netanyahu's former chief of staff in an investigation against him were incredibly shocking for many Israelis, myself included. 
The surprise had to do with the cynicism expressed by the action of both Netanyahu and the publisher, who were willing to trade what many believed were genuine differences in views for naked personal gain. The recording also seemed to tie Netanyahu intimately with Israel Ayom, possibly proving that he has control over the paper of the type he denied having for years. The investigation of the case is ongoing, with the U.S. billionaire Adelson and his wife recently investigated. Reportedly, the couple's disappointment with Netanyahu over his willingness to harm the paper they back has led the paper and the couple itself to begin and distance themselves from the full loyalty to Netanyahu that was typical in the past. In Netanyahu's vicinity, the response to the case was that he was only trying to lead the publisher of Yediot to expose his anti-Netanyahu bias. However, it's unclear that such a defense will hold in court if an indictment will actually come out of this. In addition, there are instances that show that although the full deal didn't come through, some changes in the editorial line happened nonetheless in order to signal the seriousness on the part of the publisher. Finally, we have case 3000, in which Netanyahu is not a suspect as of now. This case deals with alleged bribes handed out to senior figures in the Israeli security establishment by the German company ThyssenKoop in order to secure the purchase of naval vessels from the company. Reportedly, in 2009, the head of Israel's navy demanded that a friend of his by the name of Miki Ganol represent the German manufacturer of Israel's submarines, otherwise Israel will purchase submarines elsewhere. Ganol demanded a hefty commission for his work and would receive it when Israel chose to purchase its 7th, 8th, and 9th submarines from the German company. The deal to buy these three submarines, which was finalized in 2016, was opposed by most of Israel's security establishment, but pushed through by Netanyahu, who also led to the cancellation of a tender for the purchase of missile ships to defend Israel's natural gas fields. The cancellation of the tender meant that the ships would be purchased from ThyssenKrupp instead of a lower bidder. As I've already mentioned, the investigation has not led to suspicions against Netanyahu, but two of the lead suspects were very close to him. The first was Netanyahu's candidate for national security advisor, Avriel Bar Yosef, who had to give up the position after reports of ethical misconduct against him surfaced while he was being nominated. Bar Yosef, his deputy national security advisor allegedly advanced the deal from inside the system in return for bribes paid by Ganot. A second suspect is the prime minister's personal counsel and cousin, David Shimon. Shimon served as Ganot's counsel as well and reached out on his behalf to public officials. Shimon and Netanyahu have been forbidden to contact each other right now, an order that is somewhat complicated by the fact that Shimon and Netanyahu are represented by the same lawyer, and that Shimon's law firm partner, as well as his brother-in-law, is Netanyahu's personal diplomatic envoy, Shlomo Morcho. Netanyahu denies any knowledge of Shimon's involvement with the shipyard, and any effect of this relationship on his decision-making in the matter. Gano is now in negotiations with law enforcement authorities to cut a deal and implicate his accomplices, so developments in the case are expected. If all of this sounds incredibly Byzantine to you, it's only because it is. Finally, Netanyahu served for most of the last three years as Minister of Communications. The person he appointed as his undersecretary is suspected of working with the billionaire who has the controlling interest in Israel's largest telecommunications company and serving the latter's interest against the public interest and contra his regulatory responsibilities. Both the billionaire, once described by Netanyahu as a friend, and the undersecretary are under house arrest. Netanyahu again denied knowledge of his appointee's actions and is not a suspect in this case either.
In addition to these cases that involve matters of deep public interest, Netanyahu's wife faces several cases in which she is suspect of using public funds to pay for private expenses. These include the care person for her dying father, ordering food to the official residence against regulations, and buying furniture for use in their private home. These are not cases that involve the prime minister himself, but they add to the feeling of legal siege that he is under. While none of these cases have yet to coalesce into an indictment against Netanyahu, nor is it certain that they will, the effect of all of these cases on the political system is very palpable. It's unclear that Netanyahu would be legally required to resign, even if he is indicted, until he is convicted, but there is a feeling that Israel may be heading to elections sooner rather than later. Netanyahu's coalition partners are using his distress to get him to agree to things he wouldn't agree to otherwise and in the past. Such is the case, for instance, with his decision to freeze the Kotel Compromise, which I discussed in my previous episode. It also led to the recent primaries for the leadership of the Labour Party that elevated newcomer Avi Gabay, and I already mentioned the possibly shifting allegiance of Israel Ayom. Netanyahu's response has been to firmly deny any fault in his actions, and when possible to deny any connections to the case whatsoever. At the same time, he and his surrogates have gone on the offensive against the lefty media and the liberal philanthropic organization the New Israel Fund, depopularized by years of delegitimization, blaming them for trying to organize a coup. Specifically, they claim that growing weekly protests outside the home of Attorney General calling on him to indict Netanyahu are orchestrated by malicious forces out to subvert the will of Israeli voters. So this is it, a fairly full account of the Netanyahu investigations. I can't tell if and when any of these investigations will amount to anything, but I do hope that this helps to somewhat clarify what's even going on. So that's it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, consider rating the podcast on iTunes. It really helps putting it out there for other people and listening to previous episodes. I hope you'll join me again in two weeks. In the meantime, I invite you to continue the conversation on the podcast Facebook page or on soundcloud.com. A full text version of the episode is available on the medium.com page for the podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at AvishaiBSG, Avishai is spelled with a Y, and on my personal Facebook page. The podcast can be found on facebook.com slash the Israel podcast.